Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Kyle. Kyle is a guitarist for the band In a Common Crown. He's a host of In Liberty and Health, a podcast he, of course, hosts um, related to libertarian type things, but also he's big on like healthy relationships and living a physically healthy life, things like that. So I really appreciate Kyle coming on. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Kyle Matovic. Kyle, how are you today? Excellent, Kelly. Thanks for having me on, brother. I is a summary. I host the Kelly Patrick Show, almost 700 shows, started in 2017. Uh, mostly... Uh, coordinating it with me doing commentary for local MMA when I started it. And and I was kind of a quiet Republican when it came to my political views at that point. In 2020, of course, uh, you know, shit hit the fan. Some yeah. crazy shit happened. And I started to question a lot of things. So in a weird way, I'm kind of happy about that because I, I feel I have my eyes open about a lot of different things now. But over... These past few years, I have, of course, been fortunate to interview people and discuss these types of topics with many different people. But I, I also have been active in, like, when possible, in maybe uh, uh, one of the libertarian Facebook groups. I add people, and I'm constantly trying to surround myself with learning more about this. What appears to me to be, at least as a philosophy goes, a pretty sound foundation for viewing uh, uh, things that happen in our life 
politically. So I think I added you at one point. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. and then over time, we've interacted a little bit on a couple posts, and that's where we're at now. If you could, please, Kyle, can you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? Uh, how long yeah. have you? I know you've been in it much longer than me, but what's your backstory? So I am a fourth generation auto mechanic. Um, I you describe yourself as more of a quiet Republican who's now a little bit more libertarian. Um, I would say that I kind of came from a similar background. Uh, both my parents are kind of die in the wool Republicans, although I was raised um by my mother primarily, who um was a big Trump supporter, and I was a little bit more in the DeSantis camp. Um. But uh, yeah, I kind of grew up around that right wing background, being that I was also in the automotive field. Um, I'm also a musician, athlete. Uh, I host a podcast myself called In Liberty and Health. Um, very passionate about exercise. I love talking about relationship stuff as well. I host another podcast called Cognitive Vigilance, or at least I'm a frequent guest on there, and uh, Five Till Midnight as well. So uh, all politics, relationships, health. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a dude that wears many hats, but it seems like people mostly know me as like the mechanic who's anti-war and uh, will tell you that you can pretty much eat anything and you'll be okay as long as you don't get fat. <laughs> That's kind of your strategy for, for health and wellness. Yeah, just as long as you kind of don't go off the deep end or anything like that. Like when I see people who go real hard against seed oils or carbs or anything like that, I'm like, well, let's let's back it up a little bit. When you start looking at human literature and overall outcomes, you could see with most things that people are generally going to be okay as long as you're not over consuming. Like if you eat, if you're drinking a coffee with a stick full of butter in it every morning and then having you know, the fattiest brisket for lunch and a ribeye for dinner, then, okay, you may have a problem because the excess saturated fat and some people may cause their LDL to go up and you may be a disproportionate risk for a heart attack, but most people don't eat like that. So as long as you're kind of getting like some good fruits and vegetables, lean meats and stuff like that, you're probably going to be pretty healthy and also have a, uh, you know, good exercise and um, maybe even like a low, low intensity, steady state cardio routine that I think you're checking off most of the boxes when it comes to health. I'm a third generation health insurance agent. So oh, wow. <laughs> also in a family business, at least yeah. to a degree. Um, and I am pretty passionate. Actually, I do a hot yoga class every morning. And then at oh, night awesome. in the evenings, I always do like a jujitsu class or a boxing mm-hmm. class tonight. Um, in one hour, I'll be leaving to go do some um, MMA sparring I do on Sunday evenings. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It makes me feel fucking good. It, my explanation is it's I'm a selfish guy and I like to feel good and this shit makes me feel very good. Yeah, so when I talk about relationship stuff and you'll see how this kind of comes full circle here in a second, um, I believe in the principle of enlightened self-interest where basically you should put yourself first because you're only able to help the people around you most when you help yourself first. So like if I don't get my Sunday workouts in every Sunday where you know I wake up at 4.30, I eat my breakfast and then um, I go take my dogs for a little bit of a walk and then I go to the gym. Um, if I don't get that in every Sunday, I just feel completely off. And even if I like sleep in a little bit, um, still feel a little bit off. But um, yeah, like this morning to be able to pull 500 pounds up with my hands, and, you know, drop it down. And, you know, it's the first time I ever did a, a 500 pound sumo deadlift. Um, it feels pretty freaking cool. And, uh, you know, you're on the right track. And, you know, I, it also... Um, kind of gives you the insurance that you know you're doing something right and also that like when I look at the rest of my family I see that a lot of them had died a little bit younger and that has always been kind of my inspiration to work out as much as possible and maintain the highest level of physical health that I possibly can okay um I, I've listened to a, a few of your recent episodes and I did hear when you were chatting with Austin Peterson I really enjoyed that 
Oh, thank you. Um, but I think you mentioned on there, I don't know, how long have you considered yourself a libertarian? It's been a while. Probably about, I would say, probably about 14 years, if I had to put a number on it. Probably about, yeah, probably back when I was like 14 or 15. Um, my brother was a, a ranting and raving, crazed leftist liberal when he was like 16. He's only about a year and a half older than me. So his big thing was like the amazing atheist, the young Turks and all them. And he would just listen to them incessantly. And um, the one day he came at me and said, oh, I'm a libertarian. I said, well, you keep calling yourself a liberal and now you're saying you're a libertarian. He's like, yeah, well, I told him, well, just like, don't don't talk to me until you know what kind of political label you are. And then um, he started showing me guys like Austin Peterson, Eric July, um, Larry Sharp, Stefan Molyneux. And um, that kind of opened my eyes up to the philosophy of libertarianism, and I kind of dived pretty hard into it from there. Um, I'm not like the big literature guy, so I would never call myself like the the guy who knows every single quote in line from Murray Rothbard or Walter Block or Henry Hazlitt or anything like that. But I, I would like to believe I know the philosophy well enough to know that I believe in it, and I think it's the most sound political philosophy there is. Okay. So 14 years ago, I guess social media wasn't, of course, even quite what it is today. I know it was still around, yeah. but mm -hmm. when I became a, I guess now what I am is, an, and you see it, you know, at least you see some of my posts and stuff. I'm yeah. pretty, um, like since the attacks on Israel, I was with my family then, my father and my brother, both big Republicans. And we were mm -hmm. like, oh shit, there's some big attacks. And immediately I knew, I was like, if this is as big of a deal as they're fucking saying it is, this is the type of a of a a moment that we have kind of talked about and and is important. What do you think I mean by that? Um, that a lot of people are going to fall in line with the status quo and want the military industrial complex to go all in. At least that's my interpretation of it. Um, and it was kind of disheartening to see a lot of right wingers' reactions to that. But I don't want to get too too deep on that just yet. But yeah, I, I think what you were getting at there is basically that it's a very very big moment in the way that we kind of described it in a chat that I'm in with the guys from the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com is uh, it, it seemed to be kind of a point of a frog boiling in water. And then the frog finally jumped and the frog being that of uh, the Palestinian people. Very good. Well said, better than I could have said it probably. Um, over the past, hmm, there was no new wars started during the Trump administration. And of course, fans of Trump will grasp at any, like anyone does who supports something, yeah. they will grasp at anything they can to try to make their guy sound good. So they have someone like me saying, well, he didn't start any new wars or Glenn Greenwald saying that, or yeah. they, that becomes a talking point for the right. And it was, and I guess you can still view it as being potentially a good thing in the long run that we at least experienced that. Uh, but I do remember thinking, like, uh, when it comes to Ron DeSantis, for example, and knowing how he's, I mean, all his comments over the years about Israel and everything. I mean, it was so predictable that many of the people, I mean, I had heard DeSantis a few months ago say he was opposed to the Ukrainian, the, the war in Ukraine. And I remember thinking and saying, to, I think, to my wife, like, I'm not buying, if anyone believes Ron DeSantis is anti-war, uh, they're an idiot because uh, that, that's that's tactically that's what you say RFK did it. You're anti the anti war or you're the anti the war of your opponent, basically, right? Yeah, 
Right. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. And it's to, to the idea that Trump was anti-war. I, I get that sentiment because you're right that there there were no new wars started under Trump. But I think a lot of people kind of miss the mark there when they forget about a lot of the stuff that he did do. So there was Operation Gideon in 2020 where um, they tried to recognize Juan Guaido um, as the president of Venezuela in a failed coup attempt. And that never went through. And I think actually they just sent Juan Guaido to a prison re- relatively recently within like the last couple of weeks or something like that. Um, he increased drone strikes from Obama's pace. He killed more people via drone strikes than Obama did. Is, the, is that accurate? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is that's, no, that's accurate? Okay. He killed yeah, more. You, of course, he only served four years, mm-hmm. but he per you know month he was in office on average, his drone strikes drone strikes were more than what Obama had done. Yeah, he had killed more people and more civilians via drone strike than um, Obama did. There was a graph from, I think it's airwars.com that had uh, kind of panned this out. And it's actually a very, very, very stark difference. But a lot of this was, I think, because he kind of decentralized a little bit of the uh, State Department and their authorization to engage via drone strikes. So they just went absolutely, the fatalities went through the roof when it came to drone strikes. So I, I he did have good talking points and I'm very, very grateful for that. And as people say, you know, he kind of eliminated the Bush and the Clinton dynasties, um, sort of, but I mean, you could still see that that war hawk spirit is alive and well on the right. And I, I don't say that gleefully. I really don't. But, um, you know, amongst the other things that he did, people say that, uh, neither of these wars referring to the Ukraine war and the, uh, Israel Palestine war would have never happened under Trump. Well, he also sanctioned Russia and he also sent deadly javelin missiles into Ukraine, which Obama wouldn't do because he knew it would stoke tensions. So right there, uh, he was pretty hawkish on Russia, but I think a lot of that was due to Russia gate. And then when it comes to Israel Palestine. I mean, Trump was a huge Zionist and he absolutely loved Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, you could find countless pictures of him, you know, touching the wall with the little yarmulke on. And yeah, I he moved the embassy to Jerusalem as well. So I think a lot of the stuff would look generally the same. Although Trump's rhetoric on war is obviously a lot better than Biden's. And I do personally prefer Trump over to Biden. Um, I, I just think a lot of people get a little bit hazy eyed because I think they want to, they want a hero, right? They want Trump to be their guy. And understandably so he's hilarious. He's very charismatic, which we don't really see, you know, in our current administration. So, um, you know, I, I get it that people really want somebody to be there for them. But in this, uh, you know, if you get that high, you you probably made a lot of sacrifices along the way. And I think people will think that Trump was impervious to that. But um, no, in, in my mind, I think he bent the uh, needed administration every single time. Um, and we especially saw that in 2020, sadly. And, and like I said, this stuff doesn't bring me any cheer to say, but it's just the truth. The way that I articulate what I am feeling politically whether it's healthy or not, but I have a, a Facebook group called the Kelly Patrick Show Facebook group that has nothing at all to do with politics. <laughs> it's just shit posting, debauchery, oh, yeah. just, just <laughs> at, there's like 2,000 people in it, and it's yeah. solid, just very borderline going to get us kicked off the internet, but not because of political content. If they post, yeah. if anyone posts anything political or, of course, racist or anything, I do, you know, we remove it. So what I do is I share it directly onto my Kelly Patrick Facebook posts, okay? So all the people who've known me, many of them my whole life, are seeing this, okay? And they're like, gotta be thinking, like, what the fuck has come over this this Kelly guy? All of a sudden he cares about Israel? And, I mean, I don't, I really don't know what many people probably assume because the majority of people when it comes to topics such as Israel and Palestine, they just keep quiet, right? Mm-hmm. But, but then I, I do think, 
You know, I've had multiple of my Republican friends reaching out to me, asking me questions. They're respectful for the most part. You know, I'm not complaining, saying I dislike them. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very interesting to try and I've tried to push the message recently that, hey, I'm actually a conservative. <laughs> Where are we getting the money to send? Why do we send all this money to Israel? How do you how do you even fucking call yourself a conservative? If you can't even check the books on the fucking Federal Reserve that prints out all this money and sends it to Israel to attack people that I guess we're supposed to dislike, it just seems, I guess my eyes have been opened, Kyle, and and I'm just like, this is all very, I don't know all the details, obviously, you know, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but if this isn't some bullshit money laundering type horse shit, I don't know what is. I, for some reason, this one has really hit me to where I have conviction on this specific issue. Come the fuck on. Conservatives? Are you guys fucking <laughs> kidding me? Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? That If you and I ran a business, Kyle, and I was like, hey, all right, well, uh, and you started looking at the books, and you're like, Kelly, you just keep buying shit, and we don't even have any. Our revenue is going down. Yeah. Our revenue is mm-hmm. fucking going down, Kelly, and I'm like, Relax, we got to be loyal. These are our friends. And you're like, what? Our greatest what ally. These are, this is our greatest ally. You're thinking, <laughs> Kelly, our revenue's going down and you keep giving money to your friend? That sounds like bullshit, Kelly. I hope you would call me out on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's very, very sad, especially. Um, you see a lot of these right-wingers who are absolutely fantastic on the issue of the Ukraine war. I mean, they were, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates. um, plenty of republicans who i actually kind of like calling for the rightful end to the uh, aid sent to ukraine but then all of a sudden our greatest ally quote unquote gets attacked and all of a sudden oh well we have to bend over backwards and now everybody has to you know throw their hands up and we have to send billions more over to israel so um to to the point of the right being anti-war it's very upsetting because like this shows that they don't have a principled stance because um in my mind when we start getting to the real questions about israel like does israel have a right to exist um i'm not really too concerned about that question necessarily but i am concerned about it in regards to the fact that the united states sends them billions of dollars every single year and now the biden administration is now flirting with you know setting up a hundred billion dollars in funding to fund israel ukraine and taiwan which is the one that nobody talks about and which one that i talk about quite a bit in my show is the uh taiwan china situation but um Basically, they're trying to secure $100 billion in funding for more war because, you know, once again, Israel's our greatest ally and we want to, you know, get Russia bogged down Ukraine to weaken Russia. And then in the situation of Taiwan, they view China as the greatest geopolitical threat. So they would like to weaken China as much as possible as well. So. But when it comes to Israel, um, they have a large influence on our politics, unfortunately. I mean, there's a lot of people who have dual citizenship and the Israeli lobby also donated more money to Joe Biden than any other candidate. So if you look at uh, OpenSecrets.com, then when it comes to the Israeli lobby's donations, I think Joe Biden received $4.2 million from the Israeli lobby. And the second person was Hillary Clinton at about like $2.1 million. So Joe Biden, people say that he's compromised by China, but that's not true at all. If anything, he's compromised by Israel because they've spent so much money on propping up his you know, political career. So the reason why people really want to get all in on Israel is because there is a Jewish voting bloc in this country. And um, you know, the Israeli lobby also has a lot of influence over both sides of our government, not just Republicans, not just Democrats, both. Being that I am new to all this, and I'm really not trying to claim 
to be an expert on this Absolutely. issue. Yeah. On this issue, I'm really not. Yeah. Beyond the fact that I know it smells just like bullshit, <laughs> and, and I, that right there, you know, I'm very confident on that. That's all I need to know is yeah. this. If someone says, hey, uh, you know, we, you're not supposed to question, uh, um, you know, Israel. You're not, Kelly, you're not supposed to question Israel. Like, what are you, what, what does that even mean? What is this supposed to, I, I don't even know what's going on. I know it all smells like bullshit. And if someone doesn't admit that it smells like bullshit, I kind of think they're a dishonest person. Like, yeah. why are, you tell me, Kyle, why are we so uh, uh, friendly with Israel? Why? What do we get out um, of it? What do we get out of it? There's some people that kind of chalk it up to being a good strategic hub in the Middle East. So you'll like hear RFK say this, which I really like RFK, but on the issue of Israel, Palestine, and Iran, he's very, very bad. And it's kind of weird because as somebody who would cite antiwar.com to be bad on the Israel-Palestine issue, it's very, very fishy looking to say the least. Well, he's a smart politician. I was telling my, I was following it and I was like, Mm -hmm. he seems like he's good on foreign policy. And then the next day he was at a, a, a rally waving an Israel flag and oh, i was yeah. telling my wife i'm like this looks like oh I, actually i said what i think i said to her kyle was i actually like that that means he might have a chance of getting elected <laughs> yeah i mean it's as sad as that is but um you know basically he would say that israel is basically like a what did he say it was like a, a warship carrier in the middle east um another kind of strange thing about israel that no one really talks about is that they actually have a nuclear program that is not recognized by any other country in the world and every other country that has nukes, China, North Korea, Russia, the United States, they all have to kind of, you know, let everybody know that they have nukes. And what's the constant fear that you hear from the United States? Oh, Iran has nukes. But in order for Iran to build a nuclear weapon, they would have, they would have to enrich uranium, and I think it's 93%. And right now, they're enriching it at about 60%. And this is after decades and decades of sanctions and just off, you know, brutal treatment of their people from the United States and also getting, you know, cornered with uh, countries that are being torn apart by the U.S. So um, it's just a very, very odd thing. But, um, you know, once again, Israel is kind of special because, um, you know, people believe that there's a strategic advantage to have a country like that in the Middle East. And once again, they, you know, give out a lot of money to the uh, U.S. and um, they also have great intelligence um, apparatus there as well. So it all sounds like bullshit. I don't buy any. I'm just telling you my gut when people say, well, you don't get it. Their military is very good. And I'm like, okay, why? Well, these are the talking points that they would give you. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just saying to me, and I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about Israel. Mm -hmm. I'm not Muslim. I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not connected (laughs) to this shit. I'm just trying to look at this critically and go, okay, you're going on and on about how great their military is and how respectful Mm -hmm. their intelligence is and stuff. Okay, we're now. Let me get this straight. While they develop those programs, were we the ones paying for that? Like, mm-hmm. what are you More bragging likely. about? That's yeah, why yeah. we're friends with them. What type mm-hmm. of a point is that? Do you think I'm dumb? Do people think that it's? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I. I. I guess I've went off the deep end with this. Now I don't. Obviously, there's a line to be made, right? Because sometimes if you get into talking about these types of things, occasionally there will be people who actually have some type of like anti-Semitism. Yes. Have you have yeah, you encountered that? You you've been in this game longer than me. I haven't been called yeah. it. I don't think anyone's called me an anti-Semite yet. I guess yeah, it's well, coming probably, but I don't know. 
well, just have me on, um, just talking about this topic. We'll probably get called anti-Semites. And it's kind of funny because I've gone out of my way time and time and time again to say, I'm not talking about Jewish people. I'm talking about the Israeli government. Uh, this is a state. This is a government that is very, very corrupt, that has a, a huge amount of influence over the United States, has you know, slaughtered children, Palestinian children. I mean, in the current war, I believe the uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, killed over a thousand children in Palestine. Like the fatalities from Israel-Palestine, the Palestinians are getting slaughtered compared to the Israelis at this point. So like Hamas had obviously took Israel by surprise a couple of days ago, or actually about two, was it two weeks October ago? 7th. Yeah, October 7th. Okay, yeah. yeah, October 7th. So yeah, it was about two weeks ago now. Um, Hamas may have took the IDF and Israel by surprise, but um, they're absolutely leveling the Palestinians now at this point. And uh, you could see the rhetoric coming from everyone just saying, oh, level Gaza. Well, there are 2.2 million people in Gaza and half of that population is children. And this is what people are talking about doing. You're talking about killing half or, you know, a million children. Like, what is wrong with you? And during the Great March of Return back in 2014, um, this was a march where the Palestinians had just went to peacefully walk to the fence that that separates Israel from Palestine. And the orders were to shoot anybody that comes within 300, it was either 300 feet or meters of the uh, fence. And they were just shooting people left and right. They talk about um, mowing the grass. And there's a certain order that they have. I can't remember what it's called exactly off the top of my head, but I know Max Blumenthal has talked about it quite a bit. Um, where they are ordered to kill civilians. So, I mean, the IDF is one of the most brutal and disgusting military forces in the entire world. Um, you know, between the U.S. government and the Israeli government, they're probably the most, <laughs> you know, if you want to call anybody terrorist, then it's probably our government, the U.S. government, and the Israeli government. And that's the honest truth of it. And they cause, you know, blowback is you know ron paul had once quoted through rudy giuliani um they cause the most amount of blowback and probably what causes terrorism i have forced myself to listen to the ben shapiro podcast even today i was listening to that <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> even today okay listen to this listen i listen every day also to pod save america are you familiar with that Mm-mm. it's like four former barack obama speechwriters on a podcast, okay? Okay. So it's like toe in the line of the Democrat. They, they talk sure. about how great of a person Joe Biden is, and it's a very active. They're actually very intelligent when it comes to analyzing, like, even the Republican primaries and things like that. Sure. So they're, yeah. they're, they're career, you know, these are serious fucking politicians. Obviously, they, they have about maybe the worst take on every single topic possibly. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to know. But it's good to at least hear it, and it is interesting that some of their... Like they're breaking down Nikki Haley or you know everything. They're they're really on on their shit. So I listen to that. I also listen to the Young Turks mm-hmm. uh, often, um, and then I, I I have been listening to the Ben Shapiro podcast. And some of the main talking points for the Israeli government that I've taken away from Ben Shapiro, which I can't even get through one of his episodes today. It's insane. Is that they basically Kyle? Correct me if I'm wrong. They have a really nice military that sends pamphlets out warning before bombs. They give people yeah. warnings in third world. My, my wife fled Cuba, okay, mm-hmm. because she was poor as shit. Third world country, absolute poverty. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to just get up and leave your fucking house when you have nothing. Right. And Ben Shapiro and all these war hawk propagandists, I guess, mm-hmm. 
basically brag for a couple things. So you tell me, add on to whatever I'm missing, but they oh. voted they voted for Hamas. That's a talking point. I think the elections were in 2006. Correct. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the majority of the 2 million people there right now are, I think, under the age of like 15 or something crazy. Correct. Okay. Yep. So they literally not only didn't vote for that, mm-hmm. they weren't alive. Okay. So that's yes. a good one. Uh, also correct. that they have the nicest military in the war world they basically send out like they have a special kind of bomb they bomb a house and it doesn't kill everyone it just gives like a little <laughs> warning and then yeah. they send the actual bomb that, yeah, not, I, I heard the flag goes poof and then it puts out sparklers too i am not kidding <laughs> this is the type of shit that people yeah. who like ben shapiro fucking listen mm-hmm. to and they're like Correct. oh god why don't they just leave and they just eat it all up what are the talking points that that you have heard over the years because you're you're probably more in tune with this this is all relatively new to me what are the talking points i'm missing I mean, generally, it's kind of like the old neocon line where basically, oh, these are terrorists. And like you said, they voted in for Hamas um, and that, you know, the vast majority of the people of Palestine are terrorists. They use human shields. It's another thing. Um, Those are a few of the ones that you're still seeing out quite a bit. Um, But, you know, to your points there, yeah, they voted in Hamas back in 2006. So, I mean, it's been 17 years since that. So a lot of those people don't even, that's all they've known growing up. Um, When they drop these leaflets or pamphlets or wherever, sometimes they only give hospitals, literal hospitals, two hours to evacuate. Um, And once again, the IDF gets a lot of their weaponry from the U.S. So they have, you know, some of the best equipment in the entire world. So their strikes do disproportionately kill civilians um and the israeli government has also assassinated um you know iranian officials they bombed the syrian airport in aleppo and uh lebanon um i think i'm maybe missing one there but i mean they're israel is very very hostile to its neighbors and i'm not quite the expert on this topic i'm i would like to believe i'm probably more well read than the average individual but um you know if you've been assassinating other countries' officials, if you've been drone striking airports and slaughtering civilians in multiple different countries, then you can't exactly be surprised that those countries kind of want to return fire eventually. Um, and, and I'm not saying that what Hamas said was right, because it's absolutely horrible that anybody would kill any kind of innocent people. But, um, you know, you can only sit there and mess with people for so long until they retaliate now one reason for hamas taking some of the hostages that they did was because they believed that this would lead to negotiations because i believe it was back in 2021 or maybe 2018 i'm not too spot on with these dates but i know that um there were situations before where they took hostages and kind of got a little bit of like relief and kind of got their way so they i think their thinking was that hey if we take more hostages they may well have a little bit more leverage when it comes to talks with israel but um there are different doctrines from the idf that say like hey if somebody gets caught you kill them so um i I think it's kind of a similar situation here where israel said well, if you're going to do that, then we're just going to keep bombing you relentlessly. And they did tell you know the majority of those people in the uh, Gaza Strip to evacuate. But I mean, we're talking mostly younger people, and there's a lot of people in hospitals. They cut the food and water off, and then the uh, I think it was the way that they would get to Egypt. They even started bombing that path. So they really haven't given these people, the Palestinians, a lot of options to kind of go anywhere. And 
you know, let's think about a hospital. When you go into a hospital, do you think it would be easy on two hours notice to get out of there and get to a safe distance? I would argue probably not because people are, you know, tied to machines and what have you. And you would probably need more people to escort some people out because they may not be well enough to walk on their own. Um, it's just not a workable situation, no matter how the Warhawk propagandists would like to paint it. And someone like Ben Shapiro, um, you know, he's not going to give you the fair and honest take on his role because he's, you know, he's a Zionist. And I'm very anti-Zionist. Um, I, I do think that you according know, to Ben Shapiro, there, if you're anti-Zionist, that's the same as being a Nazi. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's what um, I think. I think yeah, he at least exactly. it's the same as anti-Semitism is literally what right. he says repeatedly. Well, yeah. Zionism is just the belief that the Jewish people should have their own state and country. Um, I'm anti-Zionist in the current way that's kind of described where Israel as it exists today should exist. Um, now, if Israel and Israelis were able to negotiate with the Palestinians and say, hey, we would like to have this portion of land and maybe they pay the people who live there to maybe move or something like that, then I'd be okay with that. But the difference is that they literally committed a knockball back in, I think it was 1947, where they displaced 750,000 um, Muslims and um, Palestinians from their homes in order to place Israel inside of Palestine. Now, I believe that they were also talking about doing something in Madagascar, I heard, but I'm not too familiar with the reasons why they did that. But, um, you know, if Israel and the state of Israel and the people had negotiated to, you know, have that land and place it wherever they want to put it, I'd be okay with that. But to just bulldoze people's homes and displace people, that from a libertarian standpoint is a violation of private property norms. And that's aggressing upon people who didn't, you know, consent to be removed from their homes. So um, I, I think that's absolutely wrong. And I think anybody who has respect for property rights should be opposed to that. Kyle, would you consider yourself like woke or a social justice warrior? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Me, me neither. Okay. Uh -huh. Me neither. But so hypocrisy is important because I do see many people, Republicans, pretending to be anti-war when it's Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, oh, no, I buy this narrative. Okay. To me, I see that as being hypocritical. I just do. Some of them yeah. have even admitted to me. I know it's a little hypocritical, but, you know. Mm. Okay. So I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm woke or anything like that either. However, tell me if this sounds woke. I do believe the anti-Muslim rhetoric is crazy, is insane. I, I think it's deliberate. I think it's very intelligent. If you're trying to justify a war, you need those approval ratings from, the, from your, here in the United States. You know, the Ukrainian war is losing support among the American people. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, now maybe they'll start phasing out of it. So they do need yeah. the country to support a war. So I, I don't consider myself woke or identity politics or, you know, I try to avoid things like that, of course. Yeah. But I do think the crazy ass racist rhetoric about Muslims or whatever you want to call it, maybe not racism, uh, uh, yeah. propaganda, I think it exists. I'm fucking a white Catholic yeah. guy. My wife's Hispanic. This has nothing to do with me. I'm not saying, hey, poor little me. This is, I think they're demonizing Muslims so that we can kill a ton of them and that it'll be justified. And, and, and I really think that's a dangerous direction.
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think you even see this with uh, Chinese people as much as I would hate to say that. Um, anytime you point out that there may be some legitimate discrepancies in how people of different races are being treated, then typically people will condemn you as woke or leftist or your shit lib or whatever. But uh, yeah, I definitely do think that there is some racial tensions being pushed against Muslims for the explicit purpose of, you know, getting people on favor with a war, more Middle Eastern wars, which we've had a lot of over the last 20 years. I mean, they're talking about throw, you know, you just see it everywhere where they're saying let's glass Gaza. Dave Rubin was saying that Israel should bomb the fuck out of Gaza for however long that takes. Um, I think the sentiment is used a lot to justify wars. It's hard to kind of make people um, hate the Russians because Russians look like you and I, but, um, you know, when it comes to Palestinians and even when it comes to Chinese people or Asian people, then they don't quite look exactly like you and I. So therefore, it's easy to demonize these people. I mean, you see Chinese professors getting, you know, heavily scrutinized. Um, I, I think it's the Farah Act where they have they basically trace down different Asian individuals at this point and, you know, check to make sure that they're American citizens. And um, there was a professor who actually lost a couple of years at his job because of stuff like this. And I think you're going to see this a lot with uh, different, um, you know, Arabic people and Muslims as sad as that is. I mean, it's like we're going back to 2001. So I don't want to sound too woke. I'll be honest. Um, yeah. I'm, are you religious, Kyle? No. Okay. I am. I was raised Catholic. I've went through phases of life where I would have said maybe I was agnostic or something like that. Right now, my wife and I are going to a Catholic church locally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we get a lot out of it. It's been very good for us. Mm -hmm. Catholic church actually has done some very good things um, that I know of specifically, you know, to my family. Of course, they've done some bad things also. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have nothing against religion. I am agnostic. I believe my wife is uh, what the heck? Uh, Protestant. That's what she is. Okay. But, um, yeah. I, like, I think religion is generally like a net good for most people. Um, the only reason why I'm agnostic is just because I don't know and i will never claim to know and i don't think anybody can know but you know if people have a faith and they think that works out well for them and i think by most metrics like how happy people are how well the relationships do when they're religious um I, I can't come to any other conclusion that generally i think it's good for most people even if it's maybe a little bit of a placebo effect who knows yeah right well placebo is a very very powerful effect you see this in the nutritional world as well um people were given there was a study done where they gave people um, a treatment that was supposed to like lower raise their leptin and ghrelin, which are basically just two hormones that change the way like your satiety levels. And they gave people one group had like naturally high ghrelin told that they had that. And the other group was like the opposite where they had low, but they were told they were high and they kind of just gave people all different, you know, situations in this. So like the people who were told that they had high ghrelin, but actually didn't have it, their body had actually adapted to that. And they believed that they did have high ghrelin, although they actually didn't. So, so placebo is very, very powerful. And it's not that like, you know, you're placeboing yourself into it. It's literally sometimes you will change your physiognomy because you believe something that strongly. And uh, that's not to say that like, oh, well, if you think you can fly and you sincerely believe it, you're going to fly. But like, that's not to be discounted at all. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I was asking about your religion is, of course, you know, me being a Catholic, my wife mm -hmm. actually will become officially a Catholic November Fourth, so just a couple weeks from now, we'll have a ceremony. Congratulations! And she yeah. was raised in communist Cuba. Actually, there's a cool special. Newt Gingrich, you know, big time Republican, but him and his wife made a 
pro-Catholicism special, and it was about like 1979, Pope John Paul II went mm. to back to Poland, and arguably some could make a case, someone like Tom Woods maybe, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Catholicism contributed to the downfall and the disintegration of the Soviet Union. Um, so my wife kind of sees it like that. But regardless, there's bad things about the Catholic Church. Okay, what if in 10 or 20 years, People start saying, oh, the pedophilia is just too much, you know. If you're Catholic, you support pedophilia. And I'm like, hey, guys, I disagree. Um, I don't support pedophilia. I never have, fortunately, that's not a part of my life. Never has, you know, I've, knock on wood, it's, I've never really even been around anything like that. Um, okay. I don't support it. And I believe there's more pedophilia that occurs in public schools than the Catholic Church, okay? So then what can I get labeled as as a denier? I'm like a covering up for the Catholic Church. And, and yeah. rhetorically, people can start tearing you down. Maybe 10 or 20 years from now, the Catholic Church is mm -hmm. being attacked. And I don't know what type of shit's going on at that point. So what I'm saying is I'm a Catholic. It's, this isn't impacting me now. But I, I, I do believe there's some bad things about the, the you know, or arguably bad things by Western standards about Muslim, uh, uh, the, maybe the way they treat gays, or sometimes they treat women in a way that's less than the standard we, you and I would uh, treat our wives maybe, and things like that. Mm -hmm. I guess my point about all this is a lot of truth to it. There's truth to the Catholicism criticisms also. Yeah. But you have to make a, a, a conscious uh, effort, or at some point you have to uh, draw a line where you're like, okay, Certain shit really isn't my business, and certain shit certainly shouldn't be used to justify just the murder of, I guess, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, and I think to a point that you made earlier, the racial tension angle of this definitely is used to kind of justify that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I don't know that much about Muslim culture. I don't know that much about Islamic religion. But I do believe that if you spend years drone bombing weddings, hospitals, and killing children, and then committing a literal genocide in Yemen against people who they think look just, or who probably do look just like them, um, you know, they may do extreme things in the name of their religion. But I think that you would see a lot of Catholics and a lot of Christians and, you know, whatever religious sect doing a lot of radical things if you began to kill, you know, strictly just Catholics or Christians. Wow. Or okay. Like yep. Yep. You yeah. start attacking I, I, them and demonizing them, calling them all pro pedophilia or whatever the rhetoric would be. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then on top of that, you start saying, hey, guys, you need to move out of this city. I know you've lived here for a long time. Mm -hmm. Start displacing them from their home so i have a cousin who's catholic in philadelphia and they they kicked him out of his house and then bombed his house you right. know that would ha that if we're going to draw up what would be an equivalent of what's going on here and then some of my buddies maybe it's not me people did then take action to try to exact revenge for those attacks all of a sudden yeah. we're terrorists right yeah i mean that's essentially what it would be and not to say that what those people would do would be right in that situation if they were to harm innocent civilians, but I mean, you got to think about these people's perspectives, and that's essentially what's happened to the Palestinian and the uh, Muslim people over there is that they've been terrorized by you know foreign people for so long, and we don't understand their culture. Um, I won't pretend to, but you know, 
from the outside looking in, yeah, they definitely do treat people a lot worse than we would treat them here. But it doesn't mean that we should go over there and try to make them change their values because they're maybe they don't want to accept our values. And that's perfectly okay. I mean, there's plenty of people that want to accept my values the way that I live my life. There's plenty of people that may think that the fact that my wife and I are, you know, closed on her end, closed on my end, they may think that that's ridiculous. But I mean, this is the way that we chose to live what our do you, lives. What do you mean closed? As in like, we don't see other people. Like we're monogamous. <laughs> That's, so pretty, like, that's pretty radical. You know what's funny is, um, <laughs> it, okay, I see what I see what you're saying. Yeah, some people yeah. could criticize that. Yeah, but I mean, there's people in open relationships and stuff like that, and they may think that's you know, people in open relationships may think the fact that my wife and I don't want to engage in that kind of activity they may think that's weird. But you know, I think what they're doing is weird, but that doesn't mean I'm going to tell the state or government to come down and ruin their lives. Like that's not my business. As long as you're not hurting other people, and as long as you're not harming children mm. in your proximity that I'm okay with it. If you're starting to harm children, okay, well now we're having a different conversation. I don't know where and when you start and stop with government in that regards, but you know, consenting adults and consenting cultures, this is a completely different thing. And the Muslim and Arabic and Islamic cultures are just different. We don't understand it. Like I said, they may treat people worse there, but it's, it's not our business. We can't do anything about countries that are thousands of miles away from us and we should leave them do what they're going to do and, you know, do no more than trade with them. You know, it's funny you mentioned about the, the swinging thing. When I met my wife, I met her on a dating app, okay? And she's from Cuba. When she came here, apparently she had matched on dating apps with a bunch of white guys who were looking for swinging. So one of the, one of the first things she said to me was, repeatedly, I'm not into swinging. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, what? Yeah. And then she would even say it, like, after, like, we've been dating for a few weeks. And it's just, you know, I'm not into swinging. And so it's turned into a... a ongoing joke every time now she says like hey i've got a, i've got a great idea i'll be like mm -hmm. oh you want to try swinging and she's like no <laughs> so so that that also is a um a jack boyd and his wife oh mm -hmm. he made a post something about something to the tune of that not long ago on facebook yeah. i think it was and i ended up commenting this increases the likelihood my wife will let us hang out with you if we're ever around you like if, 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 if I were ever, if someone's in the vicinity of us and it seems like maybe there's something like that going on, my wife's pretty on top of like sniffing it out and being like, I, she doesn't want to be around that. She feels yeah. like she's paranoid about people like who, she, you know, I'm the, fortunately that's never been something I've been into, but it is very, very common among some. Yeah, it's it's a strange phenomenon, and I never realized how prevalent it was. Um, I'm a musician as well, and when I kind of got out there and I started learning about other musicians' personal lives, it's it's not like I care, but you know, you hear these things, and it's like, oh, <laughs> like they do that. <laughs> All right, I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks, but uh, yeah, my my wife's not available. She's <laughs> she's not looking for a, a side piece and I'm not looking for a side piece either. So, but yeah, I mean, you, these, some people are into that. Some people aren't. And, you know, the Muslim cultures are very, uh, polygynous or mm. I think it's the right word for it, but basically it's one man and many women. And I mean, for them, maybe that's okay. But, um, you know, it's the idea of patriarchy where basically like these men have a lot of women, but they're also responsible for all those women and all those children. Mm. Um, Okay. So in different cultures, they handle that differently. But, um, you know, here in the United States, I think most people kind of subscribe to the normal monogamy. And then there's some, you know, higher percentile guys that, you know, make a lot of money that may do the same kind of thing, polygynous, where they, you know, the guy and his wife may go see multiple women or, you know, they 
they're open on both ends, but like that's, I don't think that's most people. So I listened to a little bit of your interview with that divorce guy, James Sexton. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah. What do you think he would think of that? Because he wrote a couple books about, mm-hmm. he's a divorce attorney in New York City, and he mm-hmm. wrote a couple books about, um, you know, strengthening your marriage. And that's what you guys were talking about and strong marriages and relationships, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, he had wrote a chapter in one of his books. I haven't read them, but I, I would really like to. Um, something about, I think it was called Everyone's Banging the Nanny. And basically what happens is, you know, some, they, you hire a nanny to watch your kids. And then um, he told a story where basically like, this one client of his and his wife wanted to start having sex with a nanny together. And what actually ended up happening is that the nanny and the wife had ended up getting together. And then she, you know, the wife had divorced her husband and then the nanny and the wife (laughs) kind of moved on together. Um, He said that he's seen it work in some situations and he's seen some situations where it's absolute hell for people. Um, In my personal experience, I, once again, I've never done that, but most of the people I know that enter open relationships, they, (laughs) they usually leave those relationships altogether pretty soon after. Um, so, and you know, the divorce rate is 56%. So that is a slight majority of all relationships that do end. So I don't know if it's just because like, Hey, open relationships end because all relationships or a majority of relationships end, or is it just because like, Hey, they are more susceptible to end. Um, I, I couldn't give you a straight answer. I'm sure there's some people who could be just fine with it. Me personally, the thought of another guy, you know, trying to get with my wife or, you know, ever being with my wife just infuriates I think my wife feels the same way about me. So, you know, like I said, we don't explore that lifestyle, but there's other people who are into it, but that's that's definitely not for me. (laughs) Kyle, how old are you? Uh, I will be 29 here in actually exactly two weeks. Okay. You have any children? Uh, Not yet. Okay. Hopefully soon. Tell us about your band. Oh, yeah. So I play in a band called A Common Crown. Uh, We try not to lead with this, but we are female fronted and my singer Jen is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, We put out a four song EP in 2020 in February of 2020 and we were going to do all sorts of shows all over the East Coast. But unfortunately, um, you know, the world changed that um, following month. So uh, we're like an alternative metal band. Um, I think if you like kind of like punk rock and maybe some like more mainstream metal, maybe like Chevelle in this moment or um, just kind of stuff like that, then I think you'd really like us. Uh, four song EP, we're going to be putting out another single here in probably a month or two, but we got, I want to say, four or five singles out now. And um, yeah, I, I think we're pretty good. And I think that a lot of people who like just kind of mainstream rock or mainstream metal would uh, really enjoy us. We've done a lot of cool shows. We opened for Steel Panther back in 2020, uh, played with Firehouse, uh, opened for Lita Ford twice, and uh, also opened for Saliva a couple months ago. So um, yeah, we've done quite a cool... Um, quite a bit of cool shows would you say chevelle is influenced by tool i would i would think so um chevelle came out in i want to say it was 98 was okay so not album. that long after tool was 91 or two or something well yeah tool i think started in the late 80s okay, i'm not okay. i'm not like insanely familiar with both these bands but like i know them well enough to you know kind of work through most of their discography but yeah i would say that uh kind of the groove of tool probably influenced the way that Chevelle is. And I, I, I could kind of hear some similarities between um, the singer Chevelle and uh, Manu James Keenan. But uh, if you had to have me pick between the two, I would say um, I do like Chevelle a little bit more. I think their songwriting is um, a lot more palatable than tools. Whereas tool, like I love tool, but um, you kind of have to be a music fan. Like you really got to listen to tool to understand it. And I think enjoy it. 
You're right. I see here 1989 is when they got together. Ah, I can't believe that. Yes. Yeah, tool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Um, so let me see my, my quick checklist. We, we covered whether or not we're both into swinging. <laughs> we talked about our religion, our religious, uh, uh, you know, uh, preferences. Um, okay. So I, of course, I did commentary for a local MMA promotion and started this, com- this uh, podcast for that. So I cover like combat sports a lot of times on this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who listen to my political episodes, because I'm sure there's many s- democratic socialists who do not tune in to any of my political episodes. They'll listen if I have a certain fighter on, but you know, I don't know what they think of me. That's okay. But of mm-hmm. the Republicans, the ones who might be listening right now, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing of the local here in Louisville, Kentucky area, there's more of those than there are like principal libertarians listening. What would your advice be? And I, don't, I know they, they maybe don't want advice, mm-hmm. um, but you and I both being former Republicans, what would, you, what would your advice be to a, a former Republican or to a current Republican who's listening? I would say look at the last 20 years and realize that um, a lot of the worst of our government did come from Republicans. And every single time that they get in charge, they do nothing but uh, slap you in the face and basically tell you that they hate you. <laughs> um, you know, George Bush had put in, you know, started Homeland Security and greatly expanded the government. And now um, all of that stuff that was meant for just the terrorists is now being turned on dissidents, much like myself. Um, <laughs> there was a job that I was supposed to get as a uh, automotive instructor that I actually was no longer able to get because of a uh, quote unquote social media. So um, really, yes, unfortunately. Um, so a lot of this kind of stuff that George Bush had put into, um, you know, into the works has, is now being turned against people like, you know, the people who voted him in. And then, you know, to the point of Donald Trump. Um, in 2020, he praised all the places that locked down, and he still won't back off of the vaccine. He still says it's the greatest thing he ever did. That's he the weirdest shit ever. Lives. Like, what mm-hmm. what percentage of Trump supporters agree with that talking point? How is he sticking to the Operation Warp Speed uh, yeah. as something he needs to brag about? How does that work? What? I don't know. And he's even knocking DeSantis on that angle, which like if you Trump should be going for DeSantis on the fact that DeSantis has the voting record and being a consistent neocon over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, there wasn't a war, a spying apparatus. Um, There wasn't any expansion of government that he saw that he didn't like and that he didn't sign on for. People point out that he voted against Syria, but that was because it was Obama's war. It wasn't Donald Trump's war. But then he later came to support, um, you know, Trump's bombing of Syria and some of the sanctions on Syria as well. So um, really, Trump should knock DeSantis on all the war stuff, but he's trying to go after him on COVID, which is like, dude, your base is not with you on this, but his base won't overlook him because there's like a cult of personality around it. I get why people say Trump supporters are in a cult. I don't think they are, but I get it because the fervent support for him and just that people will, they refuse to see the truth about it. And even when you do, you know, propose the truth to these people, they just kind of say, oh yeah, well, he's a lesser of two evils. So I understand the argument, but I think it's weak. And I think that uh, people should kind of move on and support um, a candidate you know, who's a little bit more liberty minded. I mean, we had Ron Paul back in 2008 and 2012. Um, Aaron Day was running as a Republican who I really, really like, but now he's running as independent. Um, unfortunately, I'm sorry, who's that? He is a guy who wrote the bank run manifesto. Um, he's real big into crypto. 
and uh, he ran some businesses up in New Hampshire, I believe it is. He was a big part of the Free State Project. Um, very, very well-educated, well-rounded guy. Um, just insanely freaking smart. But um, he was run as a, a Republican for a president. And obviously, he wasn't like in the polls or doing seriously that well. But um, he just recently switched over to independent. And basically, it was like a messaging campaign for him. And I think he's like I said, he's absolutely great. He's very, very good on all things anti-war, all things, you know, anti-corporatism, um, you know, anti-big government, all that stuff. He's absolutely fantastic. He's very, very pro-gold and pro-Bitcoin. So that's really, really cool too. Um, I would think people should look to someone like him, but I think on like a federal level, you know, president, I, I think we're doomed in that regards. I don't think you're going to get your guy in there. And I don't think there's anybody to come save us on a federal level. On a local level, you could probably make some improvements. And like in your local community, you could definitely make improvements. But um, once you start getting out of your state or, you know, to the state and above, I think you just got to kind of say <laughs> it just is what it is. Do you vote? Yeah, I do. I uh, I didn't vote in the primaries because I'm a registered libertarian. And I didn't vote in 2022. I did vote in 2020, and I've always voted Libertarian. And when I couldn't vote Libertarian, I voted Republican. Okay. I'm fortunate in a way. I live in Kentucky where I get to vote for Rand Paul. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, I, I assume you would also vote for Rand Paul? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was one of the uh, other people that really brought me into politics. And uh, people used to tell me all the time when I'd get all hammered up that I would uh, <laughs> I'd give speeches about how much I love Rand Paul. And then, you know, obviously knowing who his father is, um, you know, I, I've, I've a little bit wavered on that a little bit because he's not perfect. But I mean, no one is. He is the best man in the Senate, though. And that's absolutely true without a shadow of a doubt. You got to love that he's there. I mean, I think he's doing what he needs to do to stay there. So, for example, when it came up to this new funding for uh, Israel, did you see what he said about it? He, he, he released a statement saying, I watched a video of him saying, I'll sign off on that. You know he doesn't fucking want to, right? I'll sign off on the Israel money only if we stop also giving money to Palestine. Mm. So I think what he's trying to do at times is tactically he knows he's not gonna like 95 98% of Republicans suck on everything okay yeah okay so he knows he's not gonna switch everybody but hopefully he's planting a seed so that some people out there will be like what yeah. we're funding both sides of this war so I think he's trying to bring up something like that tactically which I don't envy that position uh, yeah. but I do trust that at his core, he has to know what's up. Yeah, um, I really, really like Rand in most regards, but on the issue of Israel, he's always been a little bit shaky. Um, he came out in pretty big support of the Iron Dome and said that we should continue funding Israel. Um, I, I think if I had to put a guess on that, I, I don't think it's because he's a Zionist. I think he just realized that the Israeli lobby he, has a lot game. of influence. He's playing the yeah, fucking I, game. I, I, I I think that's kind of his angle. Um, now, the only other person, I'm sure you know who I'm going to say, uh, in Congress that has been absolutely phenomenal on every single issue, every single time, is Thomas Massey. And he was the lone no vote when it came to condemning anti-Semitism in Congress because he knew that it was just a bullshit motion. And he was the only one out of over 400, what is it, 420 people that uh, voted yes. He was the only one that said no. When so, was that? Uh, that was a couple months ago. I don't remember what exactly happened, but yeah, he was the lone no vote. That must and mean think, he's anti-Semitic. Aha. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Got him. If you don't condemn it, you must be that. Yeah, that's how it works. Everybody yeah, else is really obviously is. 
pro the Jews, and he yeah. now we know who's the Nazi. Yeah, it's Thomas Massey, obviously. You know, the farmer out in the middle of Kentucky. <laughs> um, some of the Freedom Caucus, I guess Massey had him, you know, uh, um, he supported McCarthy. Um, he has mm. pissed off some of the, I don't know about like his relationship with maybe Jim Jordan and shit like that right now. What, yeah, do, yeah. what can you tell me about that type of stuff? I'm not too familiar with it either, but I think Thomas Massey kind of compromised on the issues. Like there was a spending bill that he voted yes on. I think that was because he got some good stuff in there. But uh, I think when it came to McCarthy, if I'm remembering this correctly, he voted no the first two times. And then after some like seriously good concessions, I think it was like the House Committee or something like that that he got put on there. He finally voted yes. So I don't think that he just kind of went along to get along. I think he he played hardball to get some serious concessions and he got those and he was willing to, you know, say like, all right, well, I got something here. So I'm going to take what I can get and I'm going to walk away. Uh, Matt Gates, on the other hand, I like him more in this regards because he's willing to, you know, have a little bit more sack, but when it comes to the Israel issue in particular, Matt Gates is a fervent Zionist. He is absolutely all about Israel. You have though, to like, be, you have mm-hmm. to be, you Rand Paul is probably the one who's the least Zionist mm-hmm. in the set, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Matt Gates, a congressman, but he, I, but, but, he, but uh, yeah. of any way, you tell me, I guess right. Rashida Tlaib or someone like that. Yeah, but I think they have support amongst, like, they probably live in very, very blue districts where you can kind of get away with being a little bit anti Israel. And they always put it through like the guys of pro Palestine, like very, um, the, the leftist worldview of egalitarianism, where basically they want to promote human rights and wellness all over the world. And Rashida Tlaib, not to mention, also is like of Palestinian, um, lineage um so it's just an amash so that's why they God, did you see that amash had a couple family members die mm-hmm. yeah yeah and he's always been good on this issue too and i had eric brakey on my show um probably about a year ago now and um i didn't know this until he brought it up but he's like yeah justin amash is palestinian and his family lives in palestine some of his family lives in palestine unfortunately now but um that might have been some of the reason why he really didn't like Trump as much because, you know, he was a Republican who was very, very pro-Israel and Ooh. did a lot to make sure that, you know, Israel could carry out the drone strikes and their, you know, continued operation of the open air prison that is Palestine. So is there any principled person who's not a democratic socialist who has taken any type of a stand against Israel that you know of in the Congress or the Senate? I think Ilhan Omar has said some stuff, but I've seen people say that her view against it isn't that justified. It was a while since I've looked at this. I know that some of like the squad, sorry about that, um, is good on Israel for like very, very superficial reasons to my understanding. But um, obviously, they're terrible on every other issue. Um, and maybe even to their credit a little bit, I know that they wanted to kind of work on some anti-war bills with Matt Gates. I don't know how far that got. But um, I can't really think of any Democrats that took like a meaningful stand against Israel when it actually mattered. Uh, I know that Rashida Tlaib was banging the desk at one point about um, the treatment of the Palestinians. But um, <laughs> if they were principled... 
about it, then they would say, hey, let's stop all funding for Israel and all funding for all countries. But they're going to be selective. They want humanitarian aid, but that humanitarian aid is typically, you know, just laundered or it's given to people that it's not going to make it to the people you want to help anyways. So um, as far as Democrats go, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that really made a meaningful stance against Israel. Um, and, And generally, most people don't because of the Israeli lobby. Do you think Rashida Tlaib wants to bang Matt Gates? <laughs> you, are you referring to the picture of, uh, I think it's Ilhan Omar. She oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Rashida Tlaib. <laughs> Ilhan Omar. Yeah. Do you, you saw it, obviously. Yeah, what I, what I, are I your thoughts? You, you, you have interest in relationships and stuff, so I'll say you're an expert. What is your expert opinion? <laughs> what is your expert opinion? Did Ilhan Omar, I'm sorry, yes. Did you she want to bang was, Matt Gates? She was eyeing up pretty good. I tweeted out that picture and I said, uh, Ilhan Omar is looking at Matt Gates like a bulldozer in Israel looks at a Palestinian home. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, uh, she, she was looking pretty horned up. I Maybe there was something there. Maybe there wasn't. But uh, she quote tweeted out that picture eventually and said like, oh, you guys are a bunch of perverts. But I don't know, man. Matt Gates has the moves because they accuse him of sexual assault or like uh, trafficking or something like that. So I have to imagine that he probably has the moves. <laughs> okay. Maybe he's a dude banging girls in the back of a Subaru or something like that in a high school parking lot. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know, man. <laughs> well, Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Before we wrap things up, if someone's interested in following you more, maybe they've never heard of you, how could they follow you, get more of your, your content? Sure, absolutely. So if you Google my name, Kamatovic, that is K-Y-L-E-M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K, because my name is a little bit tricky, um, I should come up. I have a YouTube channel where I post my podcasts. I normally do about two podcasts a week called In Liberty and Health. Um, like I said earlier on, I do five till midnight. That's on Mondays at 8 p.m. EST. And uh, I do Cognitive Vigilance 8.30 on Thursdays. I play in a band called A Common Crown as well. Um, I'm on Twitter at Kamatovic and Facebook as well. I'm more active on Twitter. You can see all my hot and spicy takes there. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much where you can find me and support what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, and the band, uh, acommoncrown.com. You can find all our links, Spotify, YouTube, and all that good stuff there. Good stuff, Kyle. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much.